Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You have entered the steam room where today we proudly say this is episode number 30. Wow. I'm Ernie Johnson, Charles Barkley, episode number 30, and it's presented by Tractor Supply Company. Yep, it is, but you got to get the tractor first because it doesn't do you any good to have the supplies without the tractor. It, it would be beneficial to have a tractor. Yes. And just determine what supplies you needed for it. But we, it, we certainly appreciate Tractor Supply Company uh, for sponsoring the steam room. Well, you know, listen, if I was Kennedy Jet Smith, I'd be asking you for a tractor. <laughs> In fact, I could use two. Um, um, yeah, this is this is a this is a lot of fun here, Chuckster. We've uh, through these thirty episodes, we've had some wonderful guests. We're going to have a couple more great ones today in uh, Patrick Ewing and Dikembe Mutombo joining us together to talk about uh, the legacy of John Thompson. So we look forward to that uh, part of the show. Tim Kiley, our legendary longtime producer, will be joining us. And of course, we'll have Chuck's answering machine. Why do you just throw the word legendary around all the time? Only when it fits. Only when it fits. Uh, So if this is your first time, Welcome. If uh, if this is multiple for you, then you're a loyal steamer, and we appreciate your business. And so does Tractor Supply Company. But you need a tractor. Uh, <laughs> it, it would be beneficial. Well, my my first of all, I'm just going to salute a, a couple guys uh, because we're bringing on Patrick and Dikembe, and I just want to say thank you to John Thompson. You know, one thing I missed about the Final Four this year was him holding court. And you know, Ernie, there's certain people you meet in life, you always wonder who they like, what they're going to be like in real life. And obviously, even though it was doing my generation, when I'm watching John Thompson and the Big East and all those guys, I'm a fan. And to see Big John on the sidelines, you're like, man, that dude looks mean. <laughs> you know, like, you see the way he gets on his players. You know, he's talking about he walks off the court for Prop 48, and you're like, man, this guy going to be tough when you meet him. And then when you meet him, the first thing you realize, he's just a gentle giant. And the thing I love and respect about this man was he wanted you to be a good person. Like, you know, a lot of these sports in college, listen, I'm not going to hate it because basketball gave me everything in my life. But most of it is they just want W's and L's because uh, coaches are under tremendous pressures to win or they're going to get fired. They have families, too. But I also believe a coach's number one job is to prepare you, number one, get you an education and also prepare you for the world. And there's two guys that I when you talk to their old players, he says he didn't care about me as a basketball player. He want to be a, be, be a great man. That's Dean Smith and John Thompson. You never heard a player say a bad word about either of those guys. They just want you to be great men. And to be a, a, a black man 
at a major university, there had to be a tremendous stress on Coach Thompson at all times because you, you have to win or you're going to get fired. And there's three guys I want to acknowledge. Coach Thompson, uh, John Chaney, and Nolan Richardson. And all three of those guys are winners, and they're amazing men. But, man, what Coach Thompson did for guys who I know personally, obviously Patrick Ewing and Dick Kimberly, we're going to interview later, but also Alonzo Mourning, Michael Jackson, who's one of the reasons I'm at TNT. For a coach to, like, hey, I don't give a damn about basketball. I want y'all to be great men. Like, to have them guys take etiquette classes, you know, like he said, no, don't worry about just crap in the United States. Learn what's happening in the rest of the world. Who does that? Except John Thompson. There might be some other coaches who did it, but John Thompson talked about it all the time. And I'm gonna miss him at I'm gonna miss him at the Final Four. You know, Ernie, you got the pleasure of working with him. I know that had to be amazing. No, it was, and and you know, you never to the point you made. You never know. You know, after watching him on the sidelines for years and watching him coach and doing his thing, and you're saying, well, I wonder what he's like when you sit down face to face. And your gentle giant reference that was that was perfect. He was. It was like a grandfather figure with who just exuded this this swag and this uh, power and and respect. You could tell how much everybody respected him. He, he would do these sit down interviews, Chuckster, with you know Kevin Garnett, with Isaiah Ryder, uh, with Vince Carter, with Allen Iverson, and he would just he would get right to the point there was no tap dancing around anything you know he'd tell you know Isaiah Ryder what the hell are you doing yeah you know look at look at this great life you've got and what are you doing and then and then Isaiah would respond and and John says no I don't trust you I don't believe you and and <laughs> it, it was the, it was the kind of thing where if a if it's just a reporter who's sitting with like Ryder at that point, it's probably take the mic off. You know, what are you, what are you doing going at me like yeah. this? But when it's John Thompson, you got to respect him. Yeah. And, and, and so it was wonderful to see that. And, you know, Michael Doyle who works at NBA TV and we've known Michael Doyle for a long time. And he played a little college basketball, grew up in Louisiana. I was talking to him the other day. He said, he said he felt so proud as a young black man in Louisiana watching Georgetown win it all in 1984. And then to have the opportunity to be the guy who's kind of handling John Thompson's schedule at TNT and, and going places with him and produce, helping produce these sit down interviews. He said he was in awe to be able to do that. And so his, I mean, his influence, uh, was just so far reaching yeah. and, and, and then to hear everybody talk about him and all the, the players who have played for him. And, and I know you're going to probably get a feel for that too, when we sit down with Deke and, and Pat. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I've been watching uh, Mike Krzyzewski and guys like that and Jim Beheim talk about what John meant. I mean, and, you know, they all had great accolades, but they just talked about the pressure he was under and he never, he was always true to himself. And you got to always admire somebody who's true to their self. Yep. Uh, I, I hope 
I hope that I, I made him proud. We talked every year at the Final Four, which when I found out he passed away, that was the one thing I was saying to myself, oh, man, I didn't get a chance to see him one last time at the Final Four. I mean, like, he would have, and, you know, you like you said about in awe, like, he's had these little sit-downs with all these coaches, and most of them were young black coaches, and they'd be sit there for hours, and it was like, uh-oh, E.F. Hutton is speaking. <laughs> and it was so awesome. It was so awesome and cool. Uh, it was awesome. It was amazing. So I'm, I just want to give a coach a shout-out and tell him and Nolan Richardson and John Cheney, thank you all for everything. And, Coach, we're going to miss you. Well said, Chuckster. Uh, and I echo that. And, um, folks, stick around because this next segment. Special, 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 special. Man. It's going to be epic, and I'm not overselling it. Steam Room continues after this. We welcome you back to the Steam Room. Charles, this... This is big right oh. here, man. We, I, I'm going to say special, 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 special guest. This is basketball royalty. I mean, I'm sitting here doing a podcast now with three basketball Hall of Famers. Uh, and in this week in which we lost uh, the great John Thompson, uh, it is our pleasure to welcome into the steam room Patrick Ewing and Dikembe Mutombo. Guys, we can't thank you enough for making the time in your day to come and, and spend some time with me and the Chuckster. I've been knowing both of you guys for a lot of years. Charles, we've been, you know, we've been battling for years. So once I got that call, you know I had to show up. Thank you, Ernie. Thank you, Charles, for having me. I really appreciate them. So, uh, my first my first question is, Patrick, when did you first meet uh, Coach Thompson? My first, the first time I've ever I ever had the opportunity to to meet him was I was a sophomore in high school. They came, he came to Boston to to recruit this other uh, young man by the name of Paul Little, and we were playing against them in in the in the tournament uh, in high school tournament. And, you know, he said what he that what he told me is that once he saw me play, he told his assistant coach, forget the other guy. Get <laughs> me him and I will I'll, I'll, I'll win the championship. And after the game, I, I see him and Red Auerbach walking to our locker room. Uh, and that was the first time I, I got to meet him. I was like, I didn't know who he was. But I knew who Red Red Auerbach was. I'm like, oh my God, that's Red Auerbach. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was my first time meeting him. What about you, Dick? Yeah, were you playing intramural ball at the time you first met him? Um, no, it was like a, a week after I arrived in the U.S. at Georgetown University. Then it was a student bodies that came to get me, and they said that. Uh, the basketball coach want to meet you. They know that you're here. They want to meet you. Then uh, they took me there at McDonald's gym. And uh, when I realized that this tall giant uh, man walk out the door and look at me and say, I don't son. So I just got so scared and I panicked. And uh, I didn't know it was that big. And it was the first time for me to see somebody that tall can look at me eye to eyes with that crazy look and say, hey, how you doing? Welcome to the United States of America. So, Patrick, 
Were you always gonna go to Georgetown, or you, was it a big, a big decision? It was a huge decision. Um, as you know, I was I was the number one recruit coming out that year. Um, you know, I I visited uh, six, seven, six or seven schools. I can't remember. I'm getting old. Uh, <laughs> but it came down to UCLA or Georgetown. Um, you know, I loved UCLA. That was my first visit. I had a great visit out there. You know, got to meet Kareem, Walt, and all those great UCLA players. Um, but they let me get back on the plane. I got back on the plane, and I'm like, you know, I, I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna stay back east. Uh, so, you know, we can't, then I went to uh, Georgetown. Was my last visit. I loved it there, and I'd always loved Coach Thompson. Just the way that he carried himself, the way that he spoke. Uh, he was someone that, that I could, you know, emulate. He he also played the position. So. You know, Georgetown was a natural fit. Just to follow up on that, when you went to visit uh, UNC, the story is that uh, maybe concerns over clan activity there and, and <laughs> Dean Smith's Dean Smith saying to you that, hey, look, the place for you is Georgetown. How does how does that all play out? Well, I did I did visit North Carolina, and I, that was my first time meeting Michael Jordan, and. He was talking trash that day, the first time, from the first day I met him to this day. <laughs> and uh, when, it was ironic because when I was on my visit, there was a huge Ku Klux Klan rally in, in Carolina. And, you know, and when you go to visit Carolina, they, they put you in that, uh, the Carolina Inn, a hotel on campus. So every cricket that I heard, I'm jumping, I'm looking, I'm like, <laughs> Klan is trying to come in. Um, but yeah, the, uh, coach Smith was a great man. He told me that if I didn't come to North Carolina, that I should go to Georgetown, that that would be a great fit for me. But, um, so, you know, I, even though I listened to what he said, I, and I did end up going to Georgetown, but I just, I love Dean Smith. I thought he was a great coach, a great person. And I thanked him for, for that advice. You know, Patrick, I said on the show the other night, uh, I said, Patrick Ewan, Dikembe Mutombo, and Alonzo one of three of the best men I've ever met. I'm not talking about basketball players. I'm about three of the best men I ever met. And there's there, there's only two coaches, and I said this, there's only two coaches that I know where the players tell me he wanted us to be great men. He didn't worry about the basketball. And that was John Thompson and Dean Smith. All right. Yes. And I, I how much did he talk to y'all about education and doing the right thing off the court all the time all the time you know he had that basketball which we still have in our offices you know this the, the deflated basketball you know and one of the things he would always talk to us about is that at some point the ball, the ball is going to stop bouncing either you're going to make it to the nba and it's going to stop eventually or you're not going to make it to the nba and you're going to have to go to find something else to do right after college so he would do a lot of different things. He'd bring a lot of people in and individuals in from different walks of life for us to talk to. James Brown was one of them. You know, James Brown, who played basketball, who went to Harvard and, and became one of the best broadcasters in, in, in sports. So he came in. We had people from Coca-Cola, people from McDonald's, all people from, uh, who looked like us who played basketball but then, you know, went into the other uh, side of business. Uh, Dikembe, uh, when I was, I, I was talking to Michael Jackson the other day, uh, the old point guard, and 
He was talking about that same thing. He talked about the fact that when you were going to play for John, you better go to you better go to class. <laughs> you, you better you better be up on current events, not just in the United States but around the world. And he said there were even etiquette classes so that when you went out later in life and you went to a dinner, you knew which fork to use, which glass was yours, all of that. Yes. Tell me about tell me about that and his and his emphasis on on things beyond the basketball court. When I missed classes, I think my sophomore year because I was not feeling well, I decided that um, I would just go to the hospital on campus, go see the dentist and have my tooth taken care of, and go back to the dorm. And I missed my two classes. It was my history class and my philosophy class. Then late in the afternoon, I said, okay, it's four o'clock. Let me start walking uh, to McDonald's gym for practice. As soon as I walk there, Ernie, he just let me have it. He let me have it. He said, son, what are you doing here? I don't want to see you here. You came here to go to school. You left Congo to come to go to school in America. You didn't come here to play basketball. And see, so if you don't want to go to class, you going home today. And I thought he was kidding at the beginning. Um, I was still young and um, he said, go to the locker room and there's a plane ticket there waiting for you. And there's a cab waiting for you by the dorm and get out of here. And uh, I went to my locker and there was a one-way ticket way back to Kinshasa. And I was like, coach, I'm not going. So I started crying. He called me any kind of name. I just went inside to his office, and uh, there was late Miss Friendly there, our academy advisor, and I just sat down, and I cried like for four hours while my teammates were practicing. I said, Coach, I'm not leaving America. I'm staying. You're not going to let me go. So later on that evening, and he said, okay, you can stay. Just don't miss class no more. I never missed class after that. Man, that's amazing. Hey, you know, Patrick, we're technically in the same age group, and we played against each other, but my first recollection of basketball was like, yo, man, the Big East is on tonight. How crazy was that? Like, when y'all played Syracuse, when y'all played St. John's, and I remember the first time I got to meet you, it was like royalty, but how crazy were those Big East days? Oh, it was great. You know, when when you're going through it, you don't really think of it as, you know, we're the we're the the the, the best thing in sports right now. You're just out there battling. You know, you're competing. You know, we're all uh competing against one another, all vying to try to get to the mountaintop. You know, we were fortunate that I was fortunate that I had a great coach and I had some great uh guys surrounding me uh, that made my experience here uh wonderful. It's funny, I was watching uh Next had a thing uh, celebrating me, and I was able to watch some of those games. And I'm watching us playing against uh, Houston, and I'm like, man, Reggie, Reggie Williams was a beast. <laughs> I, I, I had to pick up the phone right then, and I said, Reggie, I don't know if I ever told you this, but man, you was a great, you was a great player. Yeah, you know, I got all the credit, but I had some great guys surrounding me that that helped pull pull that load. Dikembe, what did, aside, you know, we've talked about his emphasis, John Thompson's emphasis on 
on uh, everything outside the court, but as a player, what did he demand of you? Uh, coach demand uh, your hard work, want you to be productive every given night when you walk there in practice. There was no day off. He wanted to be much better than you were yesterday. And then he wanted to do what he was asking you to do. Um, for me, he was not worried about me scoring no point, learn how to improve my offense. He said, son, every given night, you walk in and practice. I want you to challenge Alonzo Morning and then your best ability and trying to block as many shots as you can and rip on the ball. And if you can do it, I will make you a millionaire. And you don't have to go and look for a job somewhere. And uh, <laughs> he did that. And uh, he was able to help me to go out to becoming uh, the kind of player that I become, and kind of person, and go and make a difference in the world. You know, obviously, we got a lot of stuff going on today in the world. How much did Coach talk to y'all about social issues? Oh, he talked about it all the time. You know, that's one of the things that was great about him, you know, even though there wasn't any social media and, you know, uh, we weren't really, didn't really understand that we we all have a, had a platform to to speak up. He was one that he talked about it. He showed it by, you know, walking out in, in those, or protesting those games that he, that he talked about, that he protested. Uh, he talked about, talked about it, all the th- different things that he had to endure, you know, over his lifetime. You know, being when he first got the job at Georgetown, walking in and seeing the news with that negative sign, uh, note on it. But he spoke about uh, everything that, that it was happening in society. And, you know, that's one of the things I loved about him. You know, he, he wasn't just uh, a basketball coach to us. He was a person that wanted us to elevate ourselves to be the best, uh, not only players that we could be, but also the best men that we could be. And that's one of the things I love. I loved about him, and I will miss about him. Dikembe, go ahead and follow up on that. I was there in 1988 when you walk away from the game at the Capitol Center because of the Proposition 48. Um, we didn't know as a players. We didn't know we were just sitting there. We was all shocked, and soon then they roughly blow the whistle. And we look at the bench and trying to get some direction which play we're going to run. Next time we knew, coach was just walking away. And that will make me to remember that this man fought so hard for so many African Americans in this country. There's so many issues that we are facing right now that resonate in our life that go way, way, way back. And coach been fighting for the same thing since he got to Georgetown, and he fought for it all the way to the 80s, to the 90s. And uh, even when he left uh, the coaching career, he was still talking about it. So he was not afraid for us, uh, his players, to go out there and fight for something that we believe in and making a change. He believed in a changing in this world. And he made the University of Georgetown to be the kind of university that it is today. Otherwise, nobody would not talk about our school. And it changed the culture of basketball because of Coach Thompson. You know, Pat, how big of an influence was Coach Thompson you decided to become a coach? You know, 
when I decided to, to, that I was going to stop playing, I met with Michael. And Michael offered me a job uh, to come to Washington and coach with the Wizards. And one of the things, when I, when I spoke to Coach about it, and he told me that you have to tackle this the same way that you tackle that uh, being the best player that you can. He said, there's a lot of people, a lot of great players who decide to do something after, after they finish, and they just go about it half-assed. He said, you have to put in all the, the – put in the hard work, put in the time, the effort that, that you go – that you did going into being the best, one of the best players that you could be, uh, do the same thing as coach uh, – into coaching. And that's what I did. So here's a – he didn't start me into coaching, but he definitely made sure that I knew that it was going to take a lot of hard work to to uh, be the best player I, I became. And it's funny because I'm working in Washington – and Jeff Van Gundy was doing TV, and he came. He was, you know, the coach, the the the, the talent. They come and watch practice, and it was then that Jeff saw that, you know, that the the, the way that I was uh, coaching was the same way that I went and did uh, as a player, and that's and when he got a job, that after the season was over in Houston, he offered me a, a job to come to Houston. So that's how I became a coach in Houston because. He saw that I was I was channeling my effort uh, into being the best coach that I could be, uh, and I wasn't just out there just you know I'm Patrick you I'm a great basketball player I want to be a coach. He saw that I was I was working my butt off to try to be the best coach I can possibly be. Even after all these years, Patrick, he, the, John Thompson casts a long shadow, and when you walk into that that spot and you are holding down the same job that he had for almost 30 years right. uh, as the head coach of Georgetown. How did that make you feel? And what did you feel you had to live up to? Uh, well, you know, he's a, he's a tough uh, man to try to live up to. You know, uh, he cast, like you said, a, a, a large shadow. But I, I did not, you know, the way I look at it is I'm not going to be Coach Thompson. I'm going to be Patrick Ewing. You know, uh, I was fortunate enough that you know, he was still here with us when I first got the job. And I could always, you know, either look over to the, to the side and practice because he was always at practice or pick up the phone and call him for any advice that, that I might need. You know, I'm, I'm going to miss him. My heart is heavy. All our hearts are heavy because he was an important figure in all of our lives. Uh, but it, if it wasn't for him, I would not be here uh, at Georgetown. He's the one that taught me into into taking this job or, or trying to uh, interview for the job. And then I got it because my goal and my focus was on trying to be a head coach in the NBA. He said, oh, you haven't gotten an opportunity yet, so you need to try and uh, try uh, another avenue. So, you know, I, I applaud him. I love him. I, we, we, we will all miss him. But I'm enjoying uh, being a coach here. I'm not going to be John Thompson. I, I hope that one day I'll be able to win a championship. But all I can do is be Patrick and be the best uh, version of Patrick that I can be. Hey, I got a question for you about Chuck. As uh, contemporaries in the league of him playing against him, Deke, you go first. What's your favorite Charles story? Uh, you can see on my on my Hall of Fame video when they were showing that. Uh, I think Charles was not afraid of no big man in this game. It doesn't matter if you are. Eight foot or seven foot, and whatever, he will still come against you. 
And um, he knew that that was a great shot blocker, but he always trying to attend to come trying to get one of the duck. And and then one time uh, he gave me a chance to block him like a three time, like in six seconds. He keep putting it up. I was swapping in it. I was like, what's wrong with this guy, man? He doesn't respect me. He keep coming. And uh, I got him very well. I remember that. <laughs> you sure they dunk on you? Uh, I got to go look at my films, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good... I, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Patrick, what's your best memory? And that can be playing against him or it can be playing with him on the dream team. Well, you know, uh, like I said, I've been knowing Charles for a lot of years. And, you know, there's there's been so many great memories. And what I can think of, well, the one I, that comes to mind right now is us uh, trying out for the Olympics in 84. Uh, we're, you know, we're trying out for the Olympics. And, you know, if anybody who knows Bobby Knight, he is, he, he, he gets, he's mad, he is yelling, he's screaming, he's cursing. And, and of course, Charles, you know, he always just, he always knows how to just lighten the room. So, you know, Bobby's in there cursing and screaming. Charles just says one of his, one. Of, well, I didn't even remember what he said. But you can see Bobby gets all red. All of us players, we all cracking up laughing. But no, nah, he just, you know, Charles has, he's always been that type of a guy that, you know, he could always uh, put a smile on everyone's face. He could, you know, even in tense moments, he can always make you feel calm. And, you know, we, we were all battling trying to make that Olympic team. And, you know, he just, uh, I don't even remember what he said. But he just did something that made us all uh, laugh and, and smile and, and, and feel good. Okay, Chuck, you know what that reminds me of? A story that? like that? Uh, that meeting we had before March Madness a few years ago. Oh, uh, when, when, when CBS? A, when a very serious topic is being discussed and you have a way of throwing <laughs> something out there. Do, I, I don't even know if we should share that story or not. Do you think we should? <laughs> Yeah, we gotta share that story. So here's the deal. I'll I'll start it. Okay. We're having us. We're kind of having sensitivity training, but because they had had some incidents up there uh, that they can't, you know, that HR said, look, this can't continue, and they gave examples of what had happened, and um, and so everybody <laughs> is kind of sitting in there, stone faced, and listening to it, and and some of these were like, hey, you can't do this kind of thing because we've had employees do this, and we've do, it. and so. Charles, they says, does anybody have any questions? Charles raises his hand and says, hey, it sounds like y'all some freaks up here. Y'all hiring? <laughs> <laughs> it was unbelievable. You're a nut. Hey, man, I, I, I just want to tell you two guys something. Uh, I think y'all are both, y'all obviously Hall of Famers, but y'all just great men. Thank you. And I know this has been a tough week. Uh, for you guys. And I just want to thank y'all for taking time because I think what Coach's message was is so important. And we need to keep that message, especially today, the environment we're in. Yes. Uh, you know, you can't, he couldn't have raised two better men than you guys. So I just want to thank y'all for taking time to share some memories. Coach was very, very proud of us. He was proud of his players, he was proud of his students. As he always call us, he never look at us as a basketball player. 
because we fought Georgia University. We were not a basketball player. We were student face on campus. Then when you go to your study and you can come back and uh, go and become a basketball player. So he respected us so much and he wanted us to be productive. And uh, we're going to miss him. Um, it's been tough for me for the last two days. I'm still holding my head up. Uh, it was very difficult when I got a phone call from Coach Ewing in the morning to let me that uh, Coach was gone. Uh, I didn't know that he was even at the hospital. And uh, it was very difficult for me to share that news even with my, my wife and my children. As, as tough as these couple days have been, and especially for guys who have played for him, it's, uh, it's good to see you be able to remember him fondly with laughter, you know, and it's, and it's very appropriate for the time because you guys were, uh, were special parts of his life. He was obviously a special part of your lives. And uh, let's, just, let's just rest with those good memories, man, that uh, you were fortu- fortunate enough to play for him. It's uh, even though our, our, our hearts are, are heavy and we are de- definitely sad with his, his passing, it's also got to be a celebration of life. You know, all the things that he has accomplished, not only as a coach, but also as a man. You know, it's our duty as his, his disciples uh, to, to make sure that we're, we're not just crying and, and being sad. We have to celebrate the, the, the journey and celebrate the things that he has uh, accomplished. Thank you. Coach, um, we will miss him. Great teacher. Yes, sir. You cannot go a month without not calling him. That's what kind of man he was. Otherwise, he will find you. (laughs) (laughs) Dikembe Mutombo, Patrick Ewing, thank you. My pleasure, fellas. Enjoy, man. Hey, hey guys, thanks for joining us today. Great talking to y'all. That was great stuff. That was awesome. I'd love to have known what you said in that Bobby Knight meeting, dude. (laughs) We're back in the steam room and, you know, we've got a Zoom picture here. So here's the legendary longtime producer of of Inside the NBA, Tim Kiley, who's got a shower cap on, a clear shower cap, and he's got his steam room robe on. Did we disturb you, Mr. Kylie? I know it's an off day. Did we disturb you? Chuck, very important. You remember you beat up Godzilla in a Nike commercial? Yes. The Japanese uh, mayor of Tokyo has given him the honor of citizenship in Tokyo. Well... I'm surprised how popular those movies still are over there. I've been over there probably 10 to 15 times. And I think a few times I've been there, Godzilla's been like the number one movie that week. It was crazy. (laughs) It was crazy. I'm trying to picture you sitting in a hotel room in Japan and flipping through that remote control and say, oh, yeah, good. Godzilla's on. No. So I'll tell you, listen, Ernie. One time I played in a, uh, I was over there doing some stuff for Nike and I'm playing golf with a guy who's a famous Godzilla actress. <laughs> Wait, it's a guy who's an actress? This is a true story, Ernie. You said you were playing, you were playing with a famous Godzilla actress. Actor. Actor. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, Actor. So the crowd was loving this dude and barely paying me any attention. It was hilarious. 
I, I feel the same way when I'm walking around Auburn with Bo Jackson on a football weekend. Like they're knocking me out the way to get to Bo Jackson. I, that's the way I felt when I was when I saw, was sitting, hanging out with this guy who was a famous Godzilla actor. I just can't believe they named him an honorary citizen after he blasted the city every about how many times did he blast Tokyo? Oh, uh, every time. <laughs> By the way, the interview with uh, Patrick and uh, Deke doesn't get any better than that. Oh, weren't they great? And and Coach Thompson, I covered him when in the glory days of the Big East. And he had the greatest post-game press conferences of all time. He'd come in with that towel on. Most coaches made a statement about the game and then opened it up for questions. And he dared you to ask him a question. You know, he, he, he would just stand there and wait until somebody asked a question. And I was on deadline. They had just had a fight and uh, at the end of the game. And I asked him, Coach, you're going into the Big East tournament. This is the second fight of the year between Pitt and Georgetown. Do you think there'll be suspensions? MF, don't you think families fight? Everybody fights. Families fight. He's screaming at me like left and right. Every other word was an MF. It was tremendous. I love it. You got a good sound bite. Oh, absolutely. And I told him years later when I met him, I said, Coach, you know, you MF the hell out of me one time many years ago. And he went, I did that to a lot of dudes. (laughs) You, you, You know what's amazing? As great a coach as he was, he's he's two plays away from winning three now three you know Villanova played the perfect game and beat them by one or two, and then the, the turnover. So Freddie Brown, uh, yeah. So as great as his career was, man, he's a couple plays away from being on the Mount Rushmore uh, of coaches. He may already be, though. Yeah. He makes the Mount Rushmore without a doubt. Yeah. Thanks, TK. Always wonderful having you around. See you down there at the studio, my friend. Yep. Final segment of episode number 30. I mean, it's a landmark episode. That's like three decades 30, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's true. It's like how, how long I've been at... Uh, at Turner, as a matter of fact, actually been at, been at Turner for thirty one now. Hey, and you get a you got a nice paperweight with that too, didn't you? No, it's a, it's an acrylic memento. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so uh, the number four zero four nine eight seven zero three three zero should be uh, firmly in everyone's mind because that is the uh, the number of. Chuck's answering machine. We always love to hear from loyal steamers. Spin it. You've reached Charles Barkley. Leave a message, America. First of all, thank y'all so much for what you do. Greatly appreciate it. This is Dex from Texas. Charles, this is my question. In 1993, you once told the world that you are not a role model. However, in the way that I see you move today, how you're involved with charities and organizations and using your voice and platform for the benefit of others and seeming to leverage the status you have in life and, and trying to maximize that for, for those who, who need a voice, I wonder, do you now embrace the idea of being a role model? And if you do, when did that happen? Did it happen before you stopped playing ball or after you stopped playing ball? Thank you all. Take care. Keep being role models. God bless. Great question, man. Great question, Dex. So, Dex, I want to tell you how that whole thing came about. So, 
you know, when you play pro sports, you speak at a, a lot of schools. And unfortunately, a lot of our schools are still segregated. So when I would go speak at schools, uh, predominantly white schools, I'd always ask me, well, what do you, how many of y'all want to play pro sports? And when I was going to the predominantly white schools, only like 5% raised their hand. The rest wanted to be doctors, lawyers, engineers, teachers, firemen, policemen, things like that. And when I would go speak at a predominantly black school, it was totally the opposite. I said, well, how many of y'all want to play sports? It was like 95%. And I started taking like little mental notes for like my first couple of years of speaking. Then I realized that black kids are brainwashed to think they can only be, be athletes and entertainers. They don't think they can be doctors, lawyers, engineers, accountants, things like that. So I went to Nike. I said, guys, I want to make this commercial. They're like, you're nuts. <laughs> like, they're like, you are. You are totally nuts. I said, no. They said, the public is going to kill you. I said, that's fine. I said, but I'm going to start a debate on the role model thing. I said, because I want these young black kids to know they can do other stuff than play sports. And to this day, man, uh, Dex, that's the thing I'm most proud of. People still wake up, walk up to me today and say, hey, thank you for that commercial. But I really just wanted to start a debate and let young black kids know they can do other things other than play sports and be entertainers. Uh, so I was working on that behind the scenes the entire time. I'm so lucky that TNT gave me the opportunity to talk more about stuff today. Because uh, that's one reason I came to TNT. So it, I'm, I'm more vocal about it today. But that's the real reason I made the role model commercial. But thank you, Dex. Next question. Hey, Ernie. Hey, Charles. Hey, Tim. As us loyal schemers know, the show is sponsored by Tractor Supply Company. And I guess my question is for Ernie and Charles, if you guys had a farm, what kind of fruits or vegetables would you grow? My guess is uh, blackberries for Ernie and jalapeno peppers for Charles. Thank you, guys. Have a nice day. You would definitely be right with the blackberries, going back to the, uh, the blackberry moments I talk about in my book, those sweet, unpredictable moments that kind of make life extraordinary. So, yeah, blackberries is big. In fact, we, we have some in Cheryl Land's garden here. She's got some raised beds over here on side yard, tomatoes and uh, and blackberries and peppers and all kind of stuff and peaches. But I would also, if I had my own garden, uh, you'd have to have fried okra in it, Ugh. not just okra. It would have to be. It would have to come up as fried okra. That would be awesome. See, I'm a big fried okra guy. I would eat fried okra all day long. First of all, okra is disgusting. Let's get that out the way. Fried okra. Uh, fried it's, it's, okra. Well, I, I I haven't tried fried okra, but it can't be. Oh, in come on. No, no, I'm not eating that. Wait. So, do jalapenos grow out of the ground or on a tree? They're on a. They're a plant. They're a plant. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, on my farm, which I've never been on the farm, uh, uh, even though I grew up in Alabama, I'm probably going to do uh, apples or pears. Those are my two favorite fruits. Uh, so if, if, I, if I'm going to be on a farm, first of all, pears, pears are the greatest thing ever, uh, but apples are a close second. So that, that, that'd be my two. Chuckster, you ever just have a tomato sandwich? No. Oh, let me, let me tell you something about the joy of the tomato sandwich. On toasted or grilled bread, slice up a, a, uh, like a homegrown tomato, 
maybe a little mayo on the bread, salt and pepper. Tomato sandwich, very underrated. Very underrated. Wait, with no meat? No meat. Just a tomato sandwich. Is a sandwich a sandwich without meat on it? Is is peanut butter and jelly a sandwich? That's a good point. That was a nice Thank comeback, you. Ernie. That was a nice Thank comeback you. right there. You, I didn't think your mind could work that fast, but that's a nice comeback. Kind of surprised myself with that one. Next caller. <laughs> Hi, guys. My name is Dustin, and I'm from Arizona. You guys do such a great job tackling all the serious issues, and also you guys have great sense of humor. Um, I just wanted to say that. But also, I know you guys were looking for lyrics for your theme song, so I came up with some lyrics. I'm a terrible singer, but I will try to <laughs> sing it for you. <clears throat> Chuck and Ernie in the steam room. Come and join us in the steam room. Chuck and Ernie in the steam room. Leave your towel on in the steam room. Thank you, guys. <laughs> what? Leave your towel on in the steam room. I like it. I, I wish you, you know... Me, I wish he had told us what city he lives in in Arizona since I live in Arizona. Oh, uh, man. But, man, uh, he's right about one thing. He's not a great singer. Chuck and Ernie in the steam room. Come and join us in the steam room. Chuck and Ernie in the steam room. Leave your towel on in the steam room. <laughs> that is... That's tremendous, man. Because I, because I had said, okay, so he's doing this, and then to hear it with that thumping stand-up bass. Now that I think, I think he's, I think he's onto something, man. Dude, don't quit your day job, uh, brother. Don't quit your day job. It, it was catchy. That was funny, though. Hey, man, we really appreciate all the support we get uh, on the calls. Uh, but thanks for being a law of steamers, man. We try to. You know, there's so much stuff going on in the world. We try to give people some time where they can drive around and laugh. We've had tremendous guests, but we just want to make people laugh for an, a, a little bit every week with all the stuff going on. And we try to do serious stuff too, but we really just want to have fun on the on the podcast. Hey, Cap, I hope we can do this. Uh, Michael Kaplan, our, our esteemed producer who does an unbelievable job with his show. Can we... Can we go out this week on episode 30 with the theme song with lyrics? That would be awesome. See you next week, everybody. Chuck and Ernie in the steam room. Come and join us in the steam room. Chuck and Ernie in the steam room. Leave your towel on in the steam room. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that is catchy. I love that. <laughs>